0: My, uh, my name's Peter, trust you're doing well. It's, uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, who knows that uh, uh, Christian um, culture's got some weird things that we do? Does anyone know that? Maybe there's some of you here who are not a Christian. Uh, you don't go to church and you go, yes, I've seen some of those things, or maybe you haven't seen any. We, uh, we have this thing that uh, we do sometimes... Um, When people are praying or um, speaking, sometimes we actually respond a little bit. Now, you guys are not always awesome at that, all right, when someone's speaking. I'm just saying, you're just not, all right, it's a heck of a way to start a message, right? A preacher said to me years ago, Craig, I can turn on you really quickly, so um, probably best not to say too much about that at this point in time, but we do when people pray, right? You just, you kind of go, hmm, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, maybe even just you know some of you go I I can I can handle some kind of guttural kind of non-word like mm, in a prayer. Some of you are going, I can do more than one word. I can do a word. I can do more than one word. And we go thank you Jesus or Amen or something like that. And and it might it might seem weird. Uh, and for some of you introverts out there who are Christians, you just sit in these things and you go, well, it's still weird to me. All right, but if you go to a um, you go to a counsellor or a psychologist or a, uh, a psychiatrist or just anyone whose heart is to help you, they do that, right? They just, mm, yeah, yep, no, I'm hearing you. And why do they do it? The reason they do it is they're saying to you, yeah, we're with you. We're totally with you and we're, we're just totally on board. And just as a side note, um, I, I would enjoy some of that, okay, <laughs> that you're kind of on board. Like last week it was like, is, is anyone out there? Uh, and not 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 being rude, because some of you are going, oh, "I'm going to say some stuff in a minute. Um, it's going to be heckling." Yeah, there you go. I knew Matthew would help me out with that one. All right, all right. Anyway, just just a side note, just a side note. Having a bit of fun with you, but uh, we we could do that. We could we could do that. And I think when people say or do things that are good, that say good things about God, we could just find some way. To join in with them on that. Anyway, so I'm in Sydney years and years and years ago, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having this prayer time with uh, a small group of fellas, and uh, we're all just praying, we're kind of confessing, which if you don't know what confessing is, it's like just talking to God about the stuff that you're not good at, that you've just blown it, you've done the wrong thing, and here's, here's my mate, and he just, he's just in this humble kind of posture, just praying and he just goes, God, I'm just, I'm just so proud. And I went, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. It's like, whoops. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yes, brother, there's a testimony from everyone in this circle that you are proud. It's like you want to stop the prayer time and just go, that's not what I meant, really. Really, it's not what I meant. It's like I'm with you. I'm I'm lucky. You, You can do things like that, right? Sometimes you can just do the wrong Thing at the wrong time, or perhaps even the right thing at the wrong time, um, so today we're actually going to look at um, the opposite of pride, what my brother was doing sitting in that circle, and that is humility so we uh, going to read the text to kick off today. so if you can go to John chapter one we uh, we're going to have moments where we just get into a bit of a canter, and for some of you, you just kind of go, well. We we probably are going to be doing John until Jesus gets back, whenever that is, Uh, because we did like one verse a few weeks ago, we're going to do a bit more of a chunk, there's there's going to be some nice narrative chunks in the Gospel of John and um, we'll uh, have a look at one uh, today. So John chapter 1 verse 19, we're going to go through to 28. I'm just going to make some comments as we go through just to interpret a couple of things for you so you're on the right page. Um, about this stuff John 1 starting at verse 19 and this is the testimony of John John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him now what are the Jews sending people to John for well he's pretty popular Um, there is a lot of stuff going on with uh, with John in fact Mark chapter 1 tells us that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him which is a bit weird In one sense, you go, oh, the guy's really popular. What's he doing? Well, he's baptising. And now baptism, just so that you know, was uh, the way that um, a convert, someone who wasn't a Jew, actually became a Jew. That was the way that they did it. So what John the Baptist is doing is he's got all these people coming to him and he's baptising all these people and he's not just baptising... Um, non-Jews, he's baptising Jews as well. So you've got the heavies of the day, the religious heavies of the day going, we, we need to check this out, we need to check out what's going on. Let's keep reading, we're in verse 19 then. <clears throat> this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, you also need to know that the name Christ there is not just like Jesus' surname. People go, Jesus' name is Jesus Christ. It's like Mr. Christ. No, that's not it at all. Christ actually means anointed one. And, and it's actually a messianic term. It's, it's the fact that the Jews for a long time expected this hero to come that would rescue them uh, from the Romans and liberate them, okay? Okay. Um, Let's keep going. He's saying, I'm not the Messiah. Then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Yeah, this is one of a a whole bunch of frustrating conversations in the Gospel of John, okay? And it's just where people duck and weave because what they're actually bringing to the conversation, uh, what's sitting in behind their questions is a whole bunch of assumptions that aren't quite right. So they're kind of asking the wrong question. That's really what they're doing. So We've gone from, are you the Messiah? And he goes, no, are you Elijah? Now, why is Elijah important? Well, there's a section in the Old Testament prophet of Malachi that says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The Jews believed that before the Messiah came, Elijah would come. So they're going, if you're not the Messiah, are you Elijah? Let's keep going. He said, I am not. So then they ask another question, are you The prophet. Well, who is the prophet? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 18, you'll see Moses talking about the fact that one day someone's going to come who is like the prophet. So Moses is at the top of the pile in terms of the Old Testament prophets, but there's one coming who's going to be greater. So they ask, are you that guy? And he answered, "Is it verse 21, no. So they said to him, good question, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Interesting question. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. All right, let's kick in today. Here's uh, the first point. Here's where we're going to kick off. I think we see in this story about John the Baptist the essence of humility. Can you see what's going on here? The The, the Jews have come with this identity question. Tell us who you are. And it's actually a really gnarly question what if I asked you the same question today how would you answer who are you all right I am asking you that question and I'm going to give you 20 seconds to turn to the person next to you in a moment and tell them who you are (laughs) good luck with that all right so just think about it I'll give you 30 seconds who who are you How would you describe yourself to someone else? Are you ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? All right, go. You've got 30 seconds. Who are you? Okay, you need to swap over now to the other person. Okay, how'd you go? Put your hand up if you heard a good description of who someone was. Okay, put your hand up if you feel awkward now because you didn't put your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Must have been a frustrating conversation for the Jews, right? Here they are trying to nail down who Jesus is and he goes, nope, not that one. Um, barking up the wrong tree on that one too. Um, you know, try, in some ways it's like trying to nail jelly to the wall, right? That's the old line, or rake smoke. Uh, so like good, good luck with that. And then in the end, they kind of give up. They just go, well, who the heck are you? Who are you? And his answer is interesting, right? Um, His answer is in verse 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And I want you not to miss what John's saying here. You know, in a sense, John is actually saying he's the precursor to Jesus and his job is to get things ready for him but in a larger sense notice this the essence of who John is is his connection to Jesus. His identity is directly connected to the person of Christ. Jesus is the main one, John is derivative, he's connected to him. Jesus is the center, John is on the periphery. And this is consistent with everything that we've read in the first chapter of John up to this point. And it actually is the essence of humility. This is the essence of humility. Jesus is in the center, not us. So, what John is saying here is he's saying, uh, John uh, the Baptist is a blue collar worker, he's a blue collar road worker. And, and the significance for John is not in himself. It's not being a name-dropper like you can imagine it, right? These Jews are coming along, they're name-dropping all these names. It's like, is that you? Is that you? Is that you? And it's so enticing, isn't it? Like if you were there, you'd just go, well, maybe not the Messiah, but just a mini, a mini kind of, a little bit like him. And John just keeps going, no, nope, not at all. He steps right out of the centre, or he's not even in the centre to step out of it. He's just not there. Um, it's amazing. This is what Lewis says about pride and humility. He says, From the moment a creature becomes aware of God as God and of itself as self, the terrible alternative of choosing God or self for the centre is open up to it. See, pride is when we put ourselves in the centre. It's when uh, we want to be self-sufficient, where, where we want to be self-made people. I did it my way, was the old song. It's when we disconnect from God and we don't want Him to be in the centre. We want to be in the centre. And we need to be careful about it, right? Because who knows pride is really sneaky. It sneaks into so many things. It can show up in the most unlikely of places. And don't think that just because you're in a church, we're going to have a bit of a head start on dealing with pride. It can pop up all over the place. Um, Who knows that people can use religion for their own ends? You can use religion in a way that you're in the center and not Jesus. Amen? We can. And, and the truth is, have I done it? Yes. If you love Jesus, have you done it? I would say yes. Um, but humility's not about that. Um. humility is about having Jesus in the centre. We could talk for a long time about this. Uh, You just have to anticipate that pride's going to pop up all over the place but what we're we're centering on here is the idea that humility is about Jesus being in the centre. That's the essence of humility. Here's the second thing we're going to look at today, the shape of humility. Now, This is an interesting one, right? Because uh, we may not be as clear about humility as we think. Um, And I want to suggest to you this morning that aside from Jesus himself, I reckon this is probably, arguably, the most powerful narrative that actually helps you to understand the shape of humility. Um, It sits in behind Philippians 2, if you know that one, which is a story of Christ's humility, that, that hymn of the early church. Um, this is a really, really powerful story. But before we go there, I want to uh, stop for a moment and just debunk a couple of humility mi- myths. Um, I-, I, wanna, I want you to see what humility is not, okay? Here's the first thing. Humility does not equal powerlessness. You know, it, if you think that humility is, is about weakness, then you're partially right? Because humility says that I have no strength in myself, but it actually trusts in the strength of another. You know, the center of the universe is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, eternally in unselfish relationship with each other. That is like an atom in our existence, that is the center of reality, this unselfish serving of one another. And I said it before in sermons, and I'll say it again today, unselfishness will win. (laughs) It has to win, because it's the center of everything. You know, lean on Jesus and center on Him, and you'll have a power that others know nothing about. I mean, you see that. I mean, you see that time and again in in the stories of martyrs, people who give their lives for Jesus, it's like they have this power and people just go, what, where do you get that? Well, it's different. It's very, very different. And in one sense, it looks like weakness, but there's a strength in there that other people can only dream about. Here's the second one. Humility doesn't mean you have to be silent. We, we think that sometimes, right? We think that being humble is not having an opinion. Lots and lots of people think this. And I want to say to you this morning that in a world where there's so much evil, you better have an opinion. <laughs> you need to have an opinion. But let me add this, because some of you are going, oh, this is so cool, like I'm so glad I came to church today, right? Peter's telling me to have an opinion. You don't have to be opinionated, Right? What's the difference between having an opinion and being opinionated? Well, one of the differences potentially is that being opinionated is where your opinions are tied to your pride and your arrogance. It's it's not humility. It just isn't. You know, there's a bunch of you that's actually tied up in the opinions that you've got. And I, I would just encourage you this morning, and this is an encouragement, don't be painful. All right? Don't be painful. We've got enough painful people in the world already. Is anyone with me on that? Anyone give that an amen? You could do that. Yeah, you could, right? Do you know, um, you need to find a fight that's worth fighting for. We, We fight a whole bunch of fights that just don't really matter. And you need to find a fight that's worth fighting for for the sake of Jesus and other people, all right? Um, you do not have to be silent. And in fact, that would be a terrible thing for you to be silent. For you to think that humility is being silent is a tragedy. Here's the uh, third one. Humility doesn't mean you can't be confident. Now, this is a... You've got to be a little careful about this one because confidence very easily can be pride. It can be driven by pride, Right? But sometimes I think people can think that you have to be uncertain about everything to be humble. And I just go, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't have to be uncertain about everything to actually be humble. Humility does say, I don't know everything and I need to learn some stuff. Humility remains teachable. Humility does say that you don't have a corner on the market, but you don't have to be frozen by uncertainty to be humble you can know some stuff and you can go after it for other people's good and for Jesus' glory. Amen? And you should be clear about that. You know, we, we should be certain about who Jesus is and what he's called us to do and get after that. Here's the last one. Humility doesn't mean you are a doormat. In other words, people can do what they want to you and you just have to take it. And you know the the, um, the scripture that's most often quoted uh, about this one is, turn the other cheek, all right? Someone treats you really badly, turn the other cheek. Now, a number of years ago I heard a sermon from uh, Tim Keller which made so much sense of that, okay? Because there's lots of ideas about it. I mean, I remember my dad telling me about this um, this uh, movie about Jesus and his disciples Um that he watched back in the day, you know, and the disciples are walking along the beach and someone comes up and punches Peter, disciple Peter in the face and then he goes, see, now you have to turn the other cheek and, um, and, and so then Peter does he hits him again and then Peter just floors him, all right, and the line was, you know, Jesus never said what to do after you turn the other cheek, <laughs> all right? But I think there's a better understanding of what turning the other cheek is, and uh, the best one I've heard, uh, after hearing lots and lots of people talk about this, was from Tim Keller, where he actually talked about, uh, if you go back in the day to that culture, people would greet each other with a kiss, and men even would greet each other with a kiss, that's, that's a command in the Bible that we're yet to implement fully at the project here, <laughs> greet each other with a brotherly kiss. Um, but people greet each other with kisses. Now, if people greeted with each other with kisses and someone slapped or hit you on one uh, cheek, what would it actually mean to offer them the other cheek? Well, it would actually mean that you would offer friendship and relationship to them again. That's, that's what it would be. It's not that you put yourself in a position to be physically abused by them, but you actually offer friendship and relationship to them again. Now... I, um, I had this conversation with a uh, pastor a while ago. I don't, I don't even remember who it is or who it was, I should say. Uh, but I had this conversation with this pastor. And we're talking about it, right? And I think some of it was coming out of the fact that I, um, I'd been hurt by some people and I was wrestling with the idea of what shape humility actually takes. What does it actually look like? And um, so we're having this conversation and uh, we talked about Jesus and we agreed that Jesus was humble and, uh, and then I asked this question because I was wrestling with it at the time. I said, do you, do you think that when Jesus was ripping into the religious leaders that he was being humble? And this pastor answered me straight away, and goes, no, I don't. And it was like, you know when you're sitting in a restaurant and someone drops a plate or a glass or something and it smashes? And everyone's just... So, and I, I'm just going, well, what was he? Are you telling me that he was being proud? when he was ripping into the religious leaders? And you, you know, I think he was always humble. He was always humble. Even in the moment when he was ripping into the religious leaders, Jesus was being humble. See, humility can take on a shape that is unusual to us if we think that being humble means being a doormat. Now, I think... Humility is not being a doormat. Just go with me on this one. This is cheesy for a bit, right? I'm just, this is a cheese warning, okay? Is it going to be cheesy? I don't think humility is a doormat. I think it's a magic carpet. Just hang with me, <laughs> all right? You see, what does a doormat do? A doormat does nothing. A doormat just lies there at the entrance to your house normally. And what do you do? You just walk on it and you get all the rubbish and dirt off your feet and you just wipe it onto this mat it's the purpose of the mat is just to take all the dirt and rubbish that's on people's feet so it doesn't get in the house well a a magic carpet is similar right it's it's low like a doormat but a, a magic carpet is designed to lift it's actually designed to take the person who's standing on it somewhere and I think this is the kind of thing that you see with John the Baptist You see John the Baptist going low, but he doesn't go low like a doormat. He goes low like a magic carpet and he lifts Jesus up. Now, I want you to hear this. Um, The essence of humility is going low, not just for its own sake, but for the sake of Jesus and the ultimate good of others. The essence of humility is going low, not just for its own sake, but for the sake of Jesus and the ultimate good of others. You know, John is emphatic about who he is not. I mean, look at the way the whole thing opens in verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not. I am not the Christ. Um... He is evasive in taking glory for himself. As I said before, imagine the temptation of this this name dropping, but repeatedly he says, no. He says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. Now, what's fascinating about that, and I want you to have John um, chapter 1 open in front of you, is that when you look in Matthew 11, there's a direct contradiction to John chapter 1. Matthew 11, verse 7 to 14. I just want to read this. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, John the Baptist. As they went away... uh, Sorry, I think it's doubled up there. Um, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes. (laughs) I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Truly I send my messenger before your face, he will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. It's massive. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Listen to this. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Here's my question for you. Have we got a contradiction? Can you see what's going on? John the Baptist is the living example of Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, then whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's, that's what's going on. There's no contradiction. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist is talking about himself. In Matthew 11, who's talking about John the Baptist? Jesus is. Do you see this? I mean, it fits in perfectly with the most frequently quoted proverb in the Sondergeld house. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. But John goes even further. Um, Have a look in John chapter 1 verse 26 to 27. I baptise with water but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. What's John saying? John the Baptist saying, he's going, there's someone really important around and you don't recognise him. And he is so important, I can't even take his shoe off. Now, some of you go, what's significant about that? Well, this is what's significant about that. Back in the day, teachers um, had disciples and the disciples were to do every job that a slave was to do for their teachers. Because the teachers didn't get paid, so what you'd have is you'd have all their disciples do these jobs for the teachers, all right? So they were to do every job a slave would do for their teachers except take their shoes off, take their icky sandals off. This is a um, rabbinic saying from AD 250, which they reckon actually goes quite a way back. Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except the loosing of his sandal thong. What's the trajectory of humility? or well, you go low to lift other people up that's what it is humility is about going low to lift others up now what to to uh, say something to people who are new at the project over the last 12 months um, let me let me just encourage you we love you we love having you around uh, we're really glad that you've come to join us um, Jaden and I've gotten to meet a whole bunch of you and we think you're great Thank you, and we're glad to uh, be working alongside you for uh, Jesus' sake. But I want to offer to you uh, just a, a little encouragement about how to come and be part of the Project Church, okay? The Project Church is not perfect. We, we have many things that we need to continue to grow in. We know a lot more than we did 10 years ago. We're going to turn 10 on the 24th of July this year. There are things in the project church that need to continue to mature and grow. There are things that need to change. But if you came or you come into the project church and somehow you are God's rescuer and saviour of the project church, that's not going to go very well. Okay? It's just not going to go very well. If you come in and say, like you think that you're God's gift to the project church, that's going to be really difficult. It's not normally how it works best. In fact, anyone who's been in the project since whenever ought not to think that they're God's gift to the project church. Uh, Our calling is to work together for Jesus' sake. What's the model for existing project people? But specifically, if you're new, come in and go low and lift up. That's the trajectory. Does that make sense? And do you know what? If we all do that, this is going to be a great church. (laughs) Isn't it? This is going to be a great church. All right, here's uh, point number three. The blessing of humility. So I've had the essence of humility, the shape of humility, the blessing of humility. Uh, Have a look at John 1 verse 23. John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet of, of Isaiah said. Do you see this? Not the Messiah, not Elijah, not the prophet, just a voice crying out. Now, there are lots of blessings for humility, but this is the one that I want us to finish on today. Now, if you are someone that doesn't feel particularly confident, right, and, and, and you're going... In one sense, like if I was in John's shoes and someone came up to me and said, are you the Messiah, the prophet um, or Elijah? I'd go, Oh, I can't do any of those. But as soon as John says, oh, he's a voice crying out, you go, I could do that. <laughs> I, I can't be any of those other three, but I could, I could just be a voice crying out. Um, this one's for you. Um, this one's for you. And, and here's... Here's the, uh, here's the reality about, uh, the, I guess, the essence of the blessing that comes your way from humility. Uh, one blessing which flows liberally to the humble is less pressure. <laughs> less pressure. You know this is right. You, you know, there's there's, faller, there's, sorry, there's further to fall for the proud. Has anyone noticed that? When you get really proud, you've got to be across more stuff and there's further... To fall, when you are low and humble, you don't fall as far when you blow it. Um, now, you know, for those who have been over in the new members course, we've, uh, we've learned a bunch about this. But if you go right back to uh, humanity and the way that God made us to be, we, we were made to be connected to God, connected to his life. We were meant to have dominion and authority under God's dominion and his authority Everything just worked properly. And then the fall came and humanity said, look, I'll just do my own thing. Thanks. And like disconnecting an appliance from the socket, we pulled out of the thing that actually made us who we were and made our lives go. You know, you and I were made dependent on God and others to be able to do life. So what happens when you pull out and you say, I don't want to do it with you anymore? Well, you have to make your life go. That's what you have to do. And you know what comes with that? A whole bunch of pressure. <laughs> a whole bunch of pressure lands on top of you. And here's where you end up. You either end up a nervous wreck or a control freak or some kind of combination of the two. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? All right. You get out there in the big bad world and you kind of look around and you go, there are lots of bad things that could happen in this world. Uh, You look at yourself, you go, I'm not actually that powerful. There's no way I could actually be across all of the variables that I need to be across to make things go the way that I want. And not only that, all of a sudden, you've got all these other competitors out there, right? All these other people who are trying to be great too, aka scrolling on Facebook a lot of the time. And this is... (laughs) It just gets messy, right? Um, And pride gets weird because pride is... I mean, pride is weird uh, in a biblical sense, but it gets really weird when things start to get a bit competitive, right? It's all well and good when there's people who are way, way, way ahead of you. But... And and this is what we know. There's a guy, uh, Alain de Botton, who's a bit of an armchair philosopher from England, um, a secular guy, and he, he talks about status anxiety. He says the problem with status is not the people who are way ahead of you or the people who are way below you, it's the people who are close to you. They're the ones that you jockey with all the time. You know, And that's kind of what happens. That's how pride actually works. And this is the reality, isn't it? That we pride does pecking orders. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You, you ra- you're rating people and you're... Or maybe you don't... You're looking at me like you don't understand, but Sam does. Is it, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's, you don't want to admit it, but it's, you, you kind of have these pecking orders and you're kind of putting people in their slot, so to speak, wherever that is. And um, pride hurts when there's someone who's like way ahead of you, right? So there's a tendency to, here's the, here's the line, pride coronates people and it buries them. If someone's like ahead of you, you kind of crown them as a king or a queen and it's like, I just want some of their glory to rub off on me. If they're close to you or below you, what you do is you bury them because it makes you feel good about yourself. Pride coronates people and buries them. There's a lot going on when you're being proud and you just need to know that pride naturally leads to fear or control. Now there's there's a a couple of verses in the Bible that specifically link... Humility and anxiety, right? And this is them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do you, well, what's one way that you can humble yourself? By casting your anxieties on God. What are are all of the things? that you're worried about? What are all of the things that you're fearful about? Well, you should cast those on, on Jesus. And you know, the Greek word, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, behind casting your anxieties on, was actually the same phrase used to describe the triumphal entry where they cast things on the back of the, of the donkey going in, All right. It's the same term. It's like you you put your anxieties, your cares, your fears on Jesus, who's the anxiety, fears and concerns, beast of burden. Right? You, You give them to him. Do you see the implication in this verse is that if you don't do that and you keep your anxieties, there's, in a bunch of cases, there's a bunch of pride going on. You're staying disconnected. Separation from God, putting yourself in the center, sitting on the king's throne or the queen's throne in your life is high pressure. <laughs> Humility, low pressure. Low pressure. So I'd leave you with this, uh, this question today. Um, do you have to be an important person? You don't have to answer that one out loud, but You see what I'm asking there? Do you have to be an important person? Well, God, because of his love for you and his love for me, there is no one that is insignificant. So do not hear me saying this morning that humility means that you're insignificant. It's just a different way to get to a place of significance in God's eyes. I want you to read, sorry, I want to read to you, a verse from that Matthew 11 uh, section that Jesus says about John the Baptist. Matthew 11, verse 11. Just, I mean, you're welcome to close your eyes on this. You don't need to look it up. Um, If you want to be a significant person, this is how you do it in the words of Jesus. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And here's here's your key. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So be the least. (laughs) Be the least. Everyone, project people, newer people, visitors, the trajectory of humility is go low and lift up. Doesn't mean you can't lead, it doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion. But that's the trajectory, that's, that's what we're doing. And there will be a blessing in that. And prom, Jesus promises that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, you're allowed to answer yes to this, and you can do it out loud if you want. Do you, would you like to be exalted? No, would you? I, I would. I'll put my hand up for that. I would like to be exalted with Jesus, not as Jesus, <laughs> I didn't say that and I said would you like to be exalted? Jesus one day will share his glory with you, would you like that? So just be humble, go low, let him exalt you.